Life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions, does it? Um, maybe we can watch the, the end of that later. Uh, because it's powerful. He gets all of these acorns collected, all this gathered together, and then at the end, it comes to nothing. The uh, acorn does fall on him, and uh, there's one left, though. He's able to pick it up, and as he holds it up, it disintegrates in front of him. And you just see him wearing the acorn top <laughs> as a hat. That's all he has left. And what scrap has discovered is what we all discover if, if we are teachable. And that is just what Jesus said. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And that's what Jesus was talking to the disciples about as we encounter his conversation here in Luke chapter 12. If you have your bulletin, uh, it's printed there for you. And if you have a Bible, uh, take a look there in Luke chapter 12. We have been in Luke a little bit. And Luke is uh, pretty hard-hitting. The, the Gospel of Luke is not always an easy Gospel to sit down and read. Because really, Luke does not leave us with, with any real options when it comes to Jesus' teaching. There are no loopholes. There's no <clears throat> easy way out. There's really no way to, to walk around it. You have to go through it, don't you? And he just makes it plain and simple. It's really about the cross and the kingdom of God. And what he writes here in Luke chapter 12 in this story, uh, just in this one little part, verses 13 down to about 21, is enough for us to just chew on for a long time. We could come back Sunday after Sunday and continue to mine spiritual nuggets from, from this particular chapter. But it happens as Jesus is in the midst of going to Jerusalem. He's in his mind, in his thoughts, in his goals. He's headed to Jerusalem. But along the way, he has conversations like this one where a guy comes up to him and he says, okay, Jesus, I, I realize you're a good teacher. I've heard you teach. Uh, my friends have talked about you. Uh, I've, you know, you've done some great things as you've gone through the different cities here in our area. And so I can't seem to get anyone to help me with this. My brother has an inheritance. <clears throat> and he has yet to divide it with me. So, Jesus, why don't you say something profound with all of that authority that you tend to use and maybe throw in some creativity along with that, and help my brother to get to the point where he's willing to divide the inheritance with me. Because it's really making me angry. I mean, you can just imagine. This guy has an inheritance that's not being shared with him. And so Jesus says, look, who made me the judge or the arbiter between you and your brother and this estate? That's not really my job. My job is about the kingdom of God. And certainly... That relates to the kingdom of God in certain ways, but he could see in the eyes of this man, perhaps, something that was not of the kingdom of God. Or maybe he's reflecting on the brother. He's heard a little bit more about the brother than we have in the story, perhaps, and maybe he's reflecting upon the greed of the brother. But he goes into this warning to them. Be careful. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And then there is that phrase, life does not consist of the abundance of our possessions, or 
Don't let your life be defined by what you possess or what you don't possess. So the guy, you know, I'm sure he's thinking, okay, that's great, but how do I communicate that to my brother? Can't we go back to my inheritance and how I can get my inheritance? Because my brother's the greedy one. I just need a little bit for myself. So Jesus tells the story. And, of course, he's in an agricultural setting. And so he talks about barns. He talks about crops. And, and we've been talking a little bit about that in church as well. We've focused on fruit and the things that God wants to grow and the things that he wants to develop from us as followers of Christ. But in this story, he says that there was this man. He was a, a wealthy man. Or he had, had some property. And, and really, the only reason he's wealthy is because his crops have been good. And so uh, this particular year, his crops are great. He looks out and he sees his field. They're just ripe for harvest. And he can look out and see that he has workers that are out there bringing in the, uh, all of the, the crops. And he needs a place to put them. And so he has a farm. And I put a picture, I don't know if you've seen any uh, barns like that one. We had one when I was growing up called a shotgun shed. And that's because uh, it looked like it had been shot so many times with a shotgun. <laughs> one more shot would have knocked it down. Uh, but this guy probably had a barn that looked similar to this, probably not even that big. And, and so he looks at his crops, he looks at his barn, and says, there's no way I can get all of this stuff in my barn. So what I'll do is I'll build a bigger barn. And I'll take all the crops and I'll fit them in there and then I can keep all of those to myself. You do not hear the man saying at all, well, my neighbors down the road, their crops really haven't worked out this year. The things they planted just really didn't grow and, and uh, I ended up getting more rain and getting uh, my soils just better. And maybe I'll take what I can't fit in my barn and take it down to my neighbor and let him put it in his barn and let him enjoy the fruit that I can't eat all by myself. But he doesn't say that. He says, and I love the way that Jesus reports that he talks to himself. He says that the land of the rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store it. I will do this. I will pull down my barns, build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. Hear the my in there? You know, Jesus is building up this story. It's all about me and I and mine and, and something that's larger. And then in verse 19, I will say to my soul, I mean, who talks to their soul, right? Have you talked to your soul lately? And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things that you have prepared, or the things that you have collected, the things that you are going to put in this barn, whose will they be? So it is with you and with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. Jesus understood that all of the people that he was talking to had a problem with greed. He was talking to human beings. He was talking to people who have all kinds of anxiety about where they are going to get their next meal. And especially within this culture, as Luke reports uh, to us in his gospel, he is, he is writing all of this for people who have a need of understanding poverty, and understanding where God is in the midst of poverty. And even if they've not felt poverty, 
They need to know that their neighbor is going through some difficult things and to know what their responsibility is with that, meaning that's around them. And so he's talking to them about changing their minds and, and realizing and being on guard against all kinds of greed, but also about the things that they have, that their lives are being defined. Just like the man who had to build another barn. You know, he probably was kicking back. He was already starting to be merry and to relax and thinking, wow, something must be special about me because I keep getting these great props and, and uh, I just, you know, I don't have a place for all of it. Thinking that his future would continue to be that way. Jesus says, you fool. That is not the way God has designed his kingdom. There is a, an article that came out not too long ago about 12 millionaires, 12 American millionaires who are feeling pretty good about their future. And one of the things that they have done is they've decided to get into cryogenics. You know what that is? Like where you freeze your body, uh, where you freeze, I'm just going to freeze my head. Uh, you can, like Walt Disney or the, the rumor is, you know, he froze his head so that uh, you know, two or three hundred years from now, um, when we have the science in place, well, they could just stick his head on a body and we'll have a whole new Disney world, you know, a whole new thing. But these millionaires have bought into this science, and so they have already made those plans so that uh, in two or three hundred years, when science catches up, they, when they are able to come back to life, then uh, they're still going to, you know, obviously be around. But one of the things that they've done is there's something new called a personal revival trust. And I'm sure there's a guy who will sell it to you. You can, you can buy this, and these 12 guys did. You can buy these policies so that whenever you wake up two or three hundred years in the future, you'll have all your money. And one of them, David Heiser, uh, he decided that uh, he had, I think, $10 million that he put into this personal revival trust, and he compounded the interest of what he thought it would be 200 years from now, and he calculated that he would be the richest man in the world when he wakes up two or three hundred years from now. And God says, you fool. You cannot take it with you. I love this uh, picture here. I don't know who, who made it, but uh, it runs counter to, I mean, we like to think that we could take it with us, right? Just like these millionaires who think they've outsmarted us all and, and that they can take it with them or at least put it on hold until they come back. But the reality is you cannot take it with you. This very day, this very night, your life could be demanded of you. And all of that stuff that you have scraped and pulled together and, and put in your, uh, your collection of acorns, all of that doesn't get to go with you. But there is something that gets to go with you. And it's interesting that the man is talking to his soul because that is what continues on. That part of us that is not bound by our bodies and not bound by this world, that part of us that God has created, that part of us that is eternal, continues on. But what shape does it continue on? Jesus is getting at the soul here. He's not just talking about sharing physical possessions, which is a part of this. But he's wanting them to think about their hearts, or what we would call the soul. And I, I wonder today, how is it that we can be on guard against all kinds of greed? 
And probably we, we know of all kinds of greed, don't we? I think Jesus is getting at thoughts here. For people who think that their possessions define them. And you can look all around in, in our culture today, right? And you can see how people uh, really begin to think that they're, you know, they are their things. Uh, and I'm not just talking about the hoarders that we see on TV and they get you know, connected in with all the stuff they have piled up in their room. But the people who are defined by their homes, they're defined by their bank accounts, or, or they begin to look at their bank account and think, well, that's me. That represents me. That's who I am. Or, or a fancy uh, car, not that there's anything wrong with a fancy car, but if you begin to think that you are what your car is all about, then you've missed the point. The same thing happens professionally. People want to climb up the, the corporate ladder, don't they? And there's nothing wrong with setting goals. But if that becomes you, and if that, if that job represents who you are, what happens when you lose your job? And this happens all the time. And it's especially difficult for men. Because men tend to wrap their identity in their job. And so you start working hard, you give your life to this particular position or this company, and you work, 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 you lose your job, and you feel like you've lost your soul. So there's a real problem with the kind of greed where we think we are the things that we have. But there's another kind of greed as well. And that's defining ourselves by what we don't have. See, there were people in that crowd that day I'm, that I'm sure were like the man who had great crops that year. But there were other people, like the ones down the road who didn't have anything. And Jesus was talking to them just as much as he was to the others. That if they began to think they were something less because they didn't have the crops that the neighbor had or didn't have the big barns or they didn't have all of the agricultural equipment or they didn't have the know-how or they didn't have the kind of health that the other guy had or whatever it was, then Jesus is saying, be on guard against thinking that you are what you don't have. That I'm poor, poor old me and Look at my problems and look at all the things that I could have. If only I had this or I had that. Now, you've seen these people on Facebook, right? <laughs> there are a few people, and I, none of you, uh, none of you, I think, but there are a few people on Facebook, when you, when you look through and you see, there's always this comparison about, with, you know, them and someone else. And it's a smaller conversation that we have within our culture where we define ourselves and we measure ourselves based on what we have or what we don't have. And it is another kind of greed. So our thoughts are pretty powerful, aren't they? Your thoughts will dictate your actions. You begin thinking about yourself in a particular way. Have you ever seen the, uh, the, the principle about the looking, looking glass principle? Maybe you studied it in, in, in high school or in in college sociology, or uh, you, you see this uh, on Dr. Uh, Phil's show, where you uh, begin to perceive yourself, there are really a couple of ways you can look at it, you perceive yourself as others perceive you. And you allow them to define you based on their views. So, uh, you take an anorexic, for example, there are some internal uh, struggles that are going on there. Maybe uh, he or she is looking into the mirror and seeing what? being someone who's fat, when that person could be, you know, less than 100 pounds. 
That happens internally, but it also happens externally. We began to allow people to project onto us their view and their image of, of us and who we are. Jesus says, be on guard against all kinds of greed. So it's not just about thoughts, it's about things, too. What things do you have? I think it was uh, great just to hear the report about Lake Providence and how many book bags. And, and y'all brought uh, uh, backpacks and pencils and pens and paper, and they were lined up here in front of this table last week. We had a, a bunch of stuff that went over to Lake Providence. <coughs> that stuff represents things. You had things that you shared with other people you realize at some point by bringing those that your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Your life consists in what you do with those and how you give those away. And so a thousand book bags were given by uh, Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of Louisiana to people in a parish that has less than any other parish in the state of Louisiana. I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. Get some of the stuff out of your barn and give it to some others. But what are some other things that you have? You may think, well, I don't have many things. But you have some things, don't you? Uh, we also mentioned the Magalese closet with uniforms. 70 some odd uniforms given away. Someone who realized uh, that they didn't have a uniform as they were going to begin the new year new school year, and then there are other people being matched up with them who realize, hey, I do have some extra uniforms, or I have some things that I can give so that others can have. You see, that's what God's kingdom is all about. It's about sharing our things, isn't it? And as soon as you begin to think that your things are the things that you have, when you stop to realize that other people helped you get those things, then you miss the point. So what are the things that you have? Maybe it's time. Maybe time is your biggest thing. Just in this past week, you look at all the stuff that our, our church has done, and you see a lot of time that's invested. That's one of the biggest uh, investments that we make. We take our time. Uh, there were some people who went out yesterday to the community garden and uh, gave of their time to grow vegetables that will be given to other people. Now, there's some things right there. People have given time to bless other people. And the list just goes on and on. But we need to realize what Jesus is talking about here in terms of all the things that we've been given. Basil the Great, who uh, lived in about 300, about 300 years after the death of Christ, he says, you are the servants of the good God a steward on behalf of your fellow servants. Do not imagine that everything has been provided for your own stomach. Take decisions regarding your property as though it belonged to another. But think about Scrap, this nutty squirrel. I think he looks a lot like you, a lot like me. What Jesus would have us hear as we leave this place today is that life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. That's right. God, we recognize today that 
we are those who so often could be called fools by you. There are so many times when we scrape to get what we can and then hold on to it as though it truly belonged to us. God, may you loosen our hands from the things that you have given us. We might be good stewards in sharing them with others. Help us to think the kinds of thoughts about ourselves that are the kinds of eternal thoughts that you have reminded us of again and again. As we prepare to receive and participate in communion, we remember that you are the God who has given everything that we might have, not just for ourselves, but for the benefit of others. In Jesus' name. As a way to prepare for the uh, time of communion, we have the Apostles' Creed that is here.